Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. Today on Punching Out, we're taking extra special care not to touch the microphones because we are in the middle of a <laughs> pandemic, you know, coronavirus. If you've listened to any news or watched any news, you know what we're talking about. Um, I don't even think you have to, like, look at the news. You just have to be outside your house. Or if you have a Facebook account, you, yeah. you're well-informed for sure. <laughs> Unle- Extremely well. Unless you have somehow succeeded in being off the grid since the beginning of the year, pretty much, you know what we're talking about. I, I guess I wanted to start this episode by just asking, you know, the two of you, uh, how has your work been affected by all of this goings on? Uh, we're closed. Um, okay. Like all the other... Uh, Recreation facilities in the county were closed. Uh, libraries closed today. Um, Strong Museum is going to be closed through April 13th, which is all the way through the what was, who knows if it will be, what was the school spring break. It's tough. So, I mean, I'm a salaried person, so I get to work from home, which I personally do hate working from home, but you know, small violin, crime year ever, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, it's it's tough. It's definitely a disruption, and I'm concerned about my part-time workers. They are not – don't have any guaranteed income at all from now till whenever we open again. So we uh, – Monroe County Public Schools closed, and, and that means that those of us who work in the non-public schools, we can't transport students. So we're effectively done for – as well, we are shifting to remote instruction, which is very fun because it's something that basically I would estimate 95% of teachers in the entire area are not trained in. It's uh, something that requires building classes from scratch to be remote responsive or online responsive. And it requires a student body that is motivated and has a little bit more control over their situation than we Just, do. Uh- what does um, remote teaching look like? Is that like video streaming? It, yeah, it depends on what you're talking about. Some teachers will almost certainly want to do more live classes mm-hmm. where it's kind of like a Skype call or something like that. That is not what I will be doing. <laughs> um, for some of us, it's just going to mean watch these videos, online assessments, and figure out how you're going to structure things so that your kids have to do actual work, basically, mm-hmm. and then hope that when the closure is over, you can sort of reassess where everyone is and, and give them a chance. I'm, I mean, it's, it's, for me, it's not that bad given my subject area, but I do know a lot of teachers that are going to struggle mightily with this. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So I work at a nursing home. Oh. As, so you win is what you're saying. <laughs> so... Unless I get sick, I'm going to be working the same way I do mm-hmm. through, through all of this. Just on Friday, they like shut down to all visitors, but it was very much in stages over the course of the past week. Uh, you know, the day before that, we said, okay, only close family can visit. And it was sort of the same thing if you follow sports at all. You know, mm-hmm. leagues went from, okay, we're going to still play. We're going to play, but no fans are going to come to we're not going to play at all. Um, so everybody is changing as new information comes in, which it's coming in every day. So by, by the time this episode airs on Wednesday, we're recording Sunday, everything could be completely different. The president yeah. could have it. Who knows? He definitely has it. The president it. does have it. He absolutely but Let's has be it. real clear about Although, this. Although, to be fair, like there's a good chance because of his diet, he's entirely made of plastic and he's impervious Ooh, to any like, like small things like no, but that No, but then that means it'll survive in him for like <laughs> however long. Based on what we know about the yeah, virus itself. That's true. <laughs> Oof. That's exciting. And he shook hands with the entire pharmaceutical <laughs> CEO class the other day. You know, perfect. Excellent. Great. It. It's a fun country we live in. 
So with a subject this broad, it's hard to know where to start this discussion uh, mm -hmm. beyond our own experiences. Do, do you two have any things that caught your eye? Well, Punching Out is a podcast about work, right? Right. That, that's, or, it's sorry, always a radio a broad show subject. about right. work. Yes. Thank you. Um, and there was something you said, Ryan, when you were sharing uh, the reading material with us, that every story about this outbreak is a work story when you get right down to it. I mean, mm -hmm. right now, I'm we're, we're pretty lucky, Lou and I, um, but I have friends who work full time, but it's an hourly job, and they're getting zero guidance on what's going to happen to them. I've got friends who are closed down until May, and that was their only income, and they've been laid off from other jobs or whatever. So, you know, it's not exactly a good time to go job hunting at the moment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And then I've got friends in usually techier jobs that were already working from home. And uh, if you've curated your Twitter timeline the way I do, you see a lot of people working from home and in isolation, but that's not really everybody's experience yes because there are probably more people still working at this point than yes. those working at home and uh, right one of the articles says that i think it's only 20 the the bureau of labor statistics which mm -hmm. under the trump administration that that's kind of a rough agency to rely on but they say that about 29 percent of jobs can be done at home and the one note i'll sort of throw out there is that i definitely do think that the majority of the takes and you're seeing on social media or whatever where it's like, it's okay that everything is shutting down. It's for the best, blah, blah. I'm not saying they're wrong, but they almost always come from someone who is going to be paid throughout yeah. this crisis. Somebody who will be able to do the majority of their job without having to leave their home if necessary. And that uh, – it, it kind of leaves a slight bad taste in my mouth when you see that. Uh, not because, again, there's any lack of factuality to that, but – like that's not the choice for the majority of people. People still have to eat. People still have to move things around the country. They There's still necessary have to pay rent. Which yeah. yeah, in some cities there have been uh, shut. Like evictions have been stopped owing to this mm -hmm. crisis. Some companies have shut down rent collection. Which maybe try doing that forever. Yeah, that would right. be cool. Keep going. Frankly, it's alarming and unprecedented. Like nobody in living memory has any kind of idea of how bad it currently is. And and right now things are mostly we're shutting down as precautions. You know, not to get too bleak, but that's we're it's probably a little too late for that. And there's going to be, you know, there's already massive disruptions in terms of healthcare. People who are most exposed to to sick people right now are the most in need. And, and we have to have healthcare workers, but, you know, we already had kind of a shortage of them. And now what are we going to do when they get sick? There's a stark divide between the people who can work from home and mm -hmm. the, those who can't. And like those who can't are in the industries that are in contact with the public. They mm -hmm. are or directly with sick people. Mm -hmm. You know, you talked about healthcare, but like food service as well. Mm -hmm. So many restaurants, so many places you don't get sick leave if you're working at yeah. them. And that means you're going to go into work sick. Or mm -hmm. you're even if you're not sick or you're not feeling any symptoms, you're going to go into work and take that risk because, like we said, you need that income. Yeah. Right? So I'm very used to being one of the last places to close. Like schools will close because of weather and I'll still be open or, or facilities like mine will still be open. Um, grocery stores will still be open and everything like that. And there's always this understanding of it'll be like a day or two. Or the worst thing that's happened since I've worked is the windstorm that we had in 2017 when a lot of places were shut down for a week because there was just no power. Mm -hmm. And now we're in a situation where there's, there's power, there's this, but you know, everything is closed except retailers and big box stores. Some retailers. Like Some. they're they're dropping like flies. At this right. Point. But like Wegmans isn't closed. That's um, true. You know, Walmart's not closed. Those people don't get sick leave or, or any kind of time off. And if anything, their services are more in demand now than ever. Same with any kind of gig worker. Like Instacart, like uh, somebody at my work tried to order some Instacart things, and the wait time was a week mm -hmm. to get it. Because nobody wants to go to the stores themselves, so they're well, going to have... Yeah, you know, nobody wants know, to go to the stores themselves, so there's there's a high demand on that. Um, moreover, like most stores are out of a lot of stuff. 
Um, it's wild. You it's mentioned wild. Uh, gig work. There's been like two different, two separate effects, and they've been sort of staggered. Uh, that were mentioned in a story about like Uber and Lyft drivers in New York City. First, there were people who were afraid to take public transit, so there was a spike in ridership for these mm-hmm. companies. And now, you know, everybody's working from home. There's been a sharp decline, but you know, these drivers, there's nobody willing to pay the fares for them mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. so many people have made that their full-time job, even if it, Uber and Lyft say it's not supposed to be a full-time job, but so many people are reliant on that. And now they don't know what to do because they're independent contractors, which so many of those sorts of positions have been created over just the past 10 years. Yeah. What we're what we're seeing now in a certain way is if the Great Recession was the first tap, this is the double tap. This is when you hit the targets once they think they're safe. Our generation came up in the middle of the Great Recession when everything became became part of the gig economy and uh, the expectation of having a stable job at which you had rights, just whatever was left of that was completely eroded. And now what you're seeing is that even those, even even the jobs that are available can't protect you from immiseration, like all it takes is one big external threat and it's over. Layoffs are already basically happening in a a ton of service industry jobs because, well, you know, they're travel related. So that kind of crashed because now everybody's Mm -hmm. supposed to stay where they're from. I I can read from this article on this. Uh, It's in the Washington Post by Abba Batterai, Heather Long, and Rachel Siegel. Airlines, hotels, travel agencies, and event companies have all been suffering, but interviews with more than two dozen firms and workers reveal that the pain is now translating into layoffs in a wider circle of industries, including a bakery and a chain restaurant. At the Port of Los Angeles, 145 drivers have been laid off, and others have been sent home without pay as massive ships from China have stopped arriving and work dried up. At travel agencies in Atlanta and Los Angeles, several workers lost their jobs as bookings evaporated. Christie Lights, a stage lighting company in Orlando, laid off more than 100 of its 500 workers nationwide this past week and will likely lay off 150 more, according to Chief Executive Huntley Christie. Meanwhile, a hotel in Seattle is closing an entire department, a former employee said, and as many as 50 people lost their jobs after the South by Southwest Festival in Austin got canceled. So, you know, that's – and that's just the beginning, really. Yeah. And, and it takes out a lot of the most vulnerable – types of jobs because service industry jobs in this country are low paid, extremely abusive in in their in the vast majority. And also uh, in particular with that South by Southwest uh, f- uh, festival cancellation, another group of workers that this really hits hard is seasonal work. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If it, a lot of those people are depending on something like that festival for a huge portion of their yearly income. If it's canceled, that's that. It just evaporates, and and there's nothing replacing it. No amount of uh, no amount of you know Etsy or Patreon or whatever the hell else platform you could use is going to give you that big a spike in your income. And, and you don't have an employer to give you sick leave or to mm-hmm. give you you know a salary. You you're sort of on your own. Um, yeah. Same like with the gig workers. Uh, even in this story about like port workers in Los Angeles, a uh, quote, Josue Alvarez drives for another company operating at the port of Los Angeles, but is classified as an independent contractor, meaning he gets no vacation, sick days, or health insurance. He pays for his truck and all related expenses. He typically makes $2,000 a week, but since mid-February has made 300 a week, an income he cannot survive on for long. Somewhere Neil Gorsuch is smiling. <laughs> Yeah. Friend of the show, Neil Gorsuch. Friend sorry. of the show, Neil Gorsuch. Yeah, it's... Who is enjoying this profoundly, I'm betting you right now. On, on top of all of this happening to, to everyday workers, there's also the, the instability in the stock market, which I, I can go on and on about how that makes the economy stupid and fake, but... There it is. <laughs> I will never not say that. But the impact to everyday people, like, it's really fun how every time the stock market's doing well, the impact to everyday workers is minimal, negligent. You know, if you have maybe a 401k, you might get a few hundred dollars more a week or whatever, if you're lucky. But if the stock market tanks, um, layoffs start happening. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and suddenly you get jokes about how it's a bad day to check your 401k. The whole point of those is that it's never supposed to be a bad day. You're promised a certain rate of return on those things. And yet somehow they, they, they just don't exist anymore, which I realize we're talking here about a real first world problem because what is it like half of Americans don't even have that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's yet another way in which – uh, as Lou has said on previous episodes, the rich convinced the rest of the world to give them their money and invest it further so that they could have access to it. And then somehow every time that something gets so bad that it affects rich people, the rest of us have to suffer for it, despite the fact that we don't equally enjoy the benefits, which is nothing new for most of our listeners. They privatize, what is it? They privatize the gains and they socialize the risk. We've known this again since the Great Recession. It's just especially stark now. Yeah. Uh, there are a couple articles in The Guardian that I want to read because they highlight sort of the divide we're talking about. First, by Julia Carey Wong, quote, when Josh Borden arrived for work at the Google offices in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on Wednesday morning, it felt like arriving in a ghost town. The parking lot was deserted, there was no breakfast being served in the cafeteria, and the nap rooms were tagged with signs announcing their closure as a precaution given the COVID-19 situation. The office is so empty, he told me, even more so than when the Googlers have their annual ski trip. The day before, Google had asked all its North American employees to begin working from home due to the coronavirus, a policy that has since been expanded to the rest of its global workforce. But Borden, a triage analyst who has worked for Google for about four years, is one of the approximately 135,000 people who make Google's extended workforce, temps and subcontractors who perform work for, but are not technically employed by, the $830 billion company. Haven't we talked about these people before and yes. how Google it has zero interest in making them part of uh, their, I guess, non-extended workforce? <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and That's there, cool. The article lays out how even though there are overlaps between the work he's doing and the work full-time employees are doing, he's not allowed to do that work from home. You know, these temps have to come in even when the full-time employees are told yep. to go home. So there's a, a saying in, you know, people who think capitalism is great, um, a rising tide lifts all boats. Well, the tide's going out, and it's going out real hard. Uh, what's going on with those boats? Some some are not functioning anymore. I, I think this metaphor has lost me. <laughs> That's okay. It's a dumb metaphor to begin with. I, I think the metaphor beached. <laughs> Like the boats. Exactly. Thank you. Continuing later in the article, quote, the situation recalled to me the work of Jacob Rems, a history professor at New York University who studies disasters. Several years ago when I interviewed (laughs) – is it Remez? No. It studies disasters. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Extremely funny thing to study. (laughs) He takes a look at your Twitter feed. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Several years ago when I interviewed Rems about homelessness, he told me what the category of disaster does is sort people into worthy poor and unworthy poor. There it is. In America, if you are made homeless by a hurricane, you are considered worthy and are usually eligible for public relief or support. But if you are homeless due to job loss or eviction, you are generally viewed as unworthy and scorned by politicians as a sponge on the system. Coronavirus is now creating a new division between the worthy sick and the unworthy sick. Well, and you know what's worse about that is that if you know about the responses after Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Maria, the quote-unquote 72-point air quote, worthy poor, didn't exactly come out winning in Mm -hmm. any of those cases. I mean, in in New Orleans and in Puerto Rico, you have massive public school closures. In uh, parts of Houston, the only reason that any work got done was because there were like, you know, socialists demolishing houses uh, as part of impromptu crews and stuff like that. This is it's it's true there, that as a perception that is absolutely the case. But in terms of actual policy, I mean, that's just not happening. And it doesn't happen because we live in a country that, as we've talked about in previous episodes, um, there is no such real thing as the worthy poor to the people who actually have a hand on the levers of power. Being poor, they might as well just say being unworthy. Your net worth, right, determines your personal worth to to make a facile comparison. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, 
I wanted to read from this other article also in The Guardian, this one by Rupert Neat, which explores an industry that isn't being harmed by all this panic. Oh, boy. Hmm. Uh, Starting from the top. The world's richest people are chartering private jets to set off Uh. for holiday homes or specially prepared disaster bunkers in countries that, so far, appear to have avoided the worst of the COVID-19 outbreak. And they're hiring the Pinkertons to stand outside (laughs) them with guns. Adam Twidell, chief executive of the private jet booking service Private Fly, said his firm was continuing to see a jump in bookings as wealthy people arranged evacuation flights from high-risk countries. He said many are from groups which include elderly passengers or those with health conditions that make them particularly concerned about exposure to crowds on airline flights. We've just flown a group back to London from the south of France with an immunocompromised passenger on board. Twidell said that other rich clients were arranging flights out of the UK and other European countries in advance of the possible introduction of nationwide quarantine measures. Which has gone into effect now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, tiny aside. um, The impact of this kind of this this COVID-19 on climate change may never be reversed. There are two thoughts to that because one is, you know, you're having these private jets going around now, but Mm -hmm. there's also probably fewer actual airline flights, fewer people driving. Mm -hmm. So fewer uh, factories open. True. But, you know, just watching people stockpile water bottle after water bottle after water bottle is, is, it's. But but it's a fair concern. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, okay. Weird similarity here. But in the world of tabletop gaming, right? Generally (laughs) speaking, where is this going? (laughs) Anything that makes whatever game system you're working with, anything that makes it more predictable, Mm -hmm. anything that makes it more follow the rules is favorable to the players, the people who don't hold power over how the story is going to go and and so on. Anything that makes it more random is typically going to favor the person crafting the narrative because then they have more leeway in sort of directing how it's going to flow. And the reason we have to be concerned about anything and everything now is that COVID-19 makes everything exponentially more random. It -hmm. creates massive openings for the worst human beings in the world to be even worse than they already are. And that's going some because every time we think they've reached the bottom of the barrel, they just summon up their strength and they just punch right through. And right now, based on these articles that you're reading, not only are they doing that, but they're asking the rest of us to think of them as poor victims of the disease. There's a huge difference between an immunocompromised patient in the south of France who can afford to pay for a private flight and one who has to, you know, stand in line at O'Hare for six hours while yeah. no nothing is being offered to help them sanitize or whatever. Speaking have you. of airports, and this this will be the last detail before we should uh, end this segment. Uh, quote quintessentially, the concierge company for millionaires said members who could not afford private jets had requested access to private airport lounges to avoid the risk of interacting with large numbers of the traveling public. Can I say eat the rich? Can I say that here? Yes, I do. Okay, eat them rich. Well, don't, right? Because they might be sick. (laughs) You should not be consuming human flesh at this (laughs) point in time. Yes. You do not want to encourage that. (laughs) Please do not do that. <laughs> we'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. We're talking about the coronavirus and the various impacts it is having on all sorts of different workforces and workplaces. Uh, we want to move into this segment to talk about how not just like governments are responding, but more broadly, large institutions have been responding to this crisis. What have they put forth as ways to deal with this? Because and I think we can say a lot of them have responded poorly. <laughs> mm, yeah, large large adult institutions <laughs> are, are dominating the discourse on this. So let's see. Uh, should we start maybe locally, kind of talk about yeah, yeah. New York State and that, that sort of thing? So far, I don't know if there's an official ban on anything. I know that schools are still not closed statewide. Mm-hmm. 
and there's not a real limited travel ban, the state as a whole has strongly recommended avoiding large gatherings and counties have sort of uh, downgraded that from, you know, the hundreds of people to the tens. Right, right. And I, I think just today, like Monroe County suggested that maybe bars should think about closing. Yeah, just, you know, we didn't tell you before St. Patrick's Day, just in case, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, too late now, guys. Yeah. And then you've got, uh, what is it? And then Governor Cuomo decided to go in front of the press and proudly announced that they had used uh, inmate labor to produce cheap hand sanitizer, which, you know, uh, just awesome. There's a lot of bleak uh, yeah. details oh, yeah. coming out just in almost every news story. Uh, things like you said, you know, mm -hmm. using poorly paid prison labor, something like 66 cents an hour to produce mm -hmm. this state-branded hand sanitizer just so that um, I think just state facilities will have it, like schools, and mm -hmm. which are now going to be closed, yeah. and prisons themselves. Even. Yeah. Well, they'll be closed once they squeeze out the very last few drops of profit from that hand sanitizer because, you know, corrections, yeah. definitely unprofitable. <laughs> True. Yeah. So all this week there had been like, – basically incremental steps towards especially the school closure thing. Mm -hmm. Like originally they said, we don't have plans to close right now, but we do have a plan that if somebody in RCSD gets, uh, comes back positive, then we'll shut that building for 24 hours, mm -hmm. clean it real good, and then open it again. Bad idea. Bad idea. Severely. Bad idea. Um, but, and then on Friday there was a press conference saying we don't plan on closing right now, but be prepared in case we do. Um, a Greece teacher, Greece Arcadia worker, don't know if it was a teacher or not, um, tested positive on Saturday and now then Greece shut down and then the rest of Monroe County shut down. And, you know, the, the response from parents has been like, well, now what do I do with my kid kind of thing? Um, but like shutting schools should have been something we, we had already done because frankly, mm -hmm. kids are gross. Um, yep. and, uh, and, shoving. and mostly carriers right now. That's the that's yeah. the really important part from the um, public health standpoint. That children, for the most part, aren't showing symptoms, but they can still carry the virus. Yeah. yeah, but kids are gross, and shoving twenty five people into a room mm -hmm. at any given point's not that, a good. That way to bit about this. you know what do I do with my kids has been really prescient in cities like Rochester, where there's a lot of poor students, a lot of mm -hmm. students who come from families of poverty. Like New York City schools, from what I understand, are, are staying open because there are a lot of students that are homeless. Yeah. There yep. are a lot of students for whom school is where they get their meals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was the concern with RCSD here too. But I mean, yeah, what are you, yeah. like, you going to do? You, you get the sense from – backloading this onto what has happened, you get the sense that the way schools, at least in Monroe County, developed this plan was they wanted to have everything sort of in effect before they closed. So they were just kind of hoping there wouldn't be a massive outbreak before they were able to actually say, listen, we had two positive cases, we're done, uh, but we have a food plan, we have this, we have that, we have the other thing. That that seems to be what they actually wanted to be able to mm -hmm. do. And um but they were they were better able to prepare by sort of uh, d slowly reducing yeah. their interaction with the public, basically, as opposed to closing. Um, but now we're hearing, you know, some of the latest guidance from the CDC, which at this point I assume is one person just flying back and forth, <laughs> desperately <laughs> testing as many people as they can because – a certain person who will not be named, but whose initials are the president, fired <laughs> the entire pandemic response team back in 2018. Yeah. Uh, so he could cut some budget and tell us all that the government sucks. Um, yeah. Apparently, school closures are going to have to be weeks long to break transmission chains and sort of allow the kid to be less gross when they return to school, basically. And also, if you are a parent and you're wondering what to do with your kid, you're welcome. That's what we've been <laughs> dealing with. The rest of the school year. There and we can't promise them fun vacations or anything to, you know. No, but the grand majority of people that this is going to affect really badly are people who are already have precarious situations going on, right? Uh, most of these people are not going to be – most of these parents that, that are going to have these issues are going to be working parents that, you know, can't afford to just stay home all day. And, and that sort of thing, especially not in the current situation. What this is sort of laying bare is just how broken in so many ways mm -hmm. our society has become mm -hmm. um, yeah. because it lays bare the fact that we don't 
you know, childcare is expensive as yep. hell. We've mm-hmm. talked about this on past episodes. Yeah, childcare is expensive as hell. Nobody has access to healthcare. Income is not guaranteed or mm-hmm. even easy to access. Lou, like, didn't didn't you see a thing this morning where somebody said that their daycare center is closed? Mm-hmm. The tuition is non refundable, mm-hmm. but they're sending their employees home and trying to think of a way that they can make up. Uh, their pay by yeah. doing something else part time. Correct. You're keeping the tuition. You can just pay them. Yep. This isn't difficult. Right. Yeah, that would make sense and save time. Uh, therefore, it is expressly yes. forbidden. Yeah, it's like any little crack that we have with the society. One, everything we're seeing is showing exactly where those cracks are and making them gigantic, like caverns. Um, two, showing how stupid some of the cracks are. Like you can choose just to up data caps or, or mm-hmm. eliminate data caps on your, your cell plan, cell phone plan. You can just choose not to turn off water. All, all these things we've been told are necessary are yeah. not in fact necessary. Yeah, they're, they're just artificial and stupid so that you guys can make a crap ton of money off of mm-hmm. this. Um, anyways, I want to talk about the president. <laughs> We can do that. Okay. Let's do the thing. So, so his big thing and what he was kind of hissy about earlier this week was he wanted to do a payroll tax break mm-hmm. to help people. And this wasn't really in response to COVID so much as the uh, economic stock market. impacts of yeah. COVID. Right? <clears throat> yeah, the stock market and crashing. the economic impacts of the president. <laughs> let's let's be fair about this too. Yeah, they they didn't say that part. But it was it. So he really wanted that, and then when the house came and cobbled together a plan, well, first it didn't let's, let's talk about like what a payroll tax cut is and does. Because I mean, the I thing is, if it's coming out of your paycheck, it's going to impact people whose paychecks are larger more. Right. Mm-hmm. So precisely, you know, it's a boon to people who make a lot of money. You know, who get paid you know highly. Mm-hmm. But it's not so much a boon if you aren't making that much or yep. if you're not getting paid. Or right. There or if is. you don't have a paycheck because you're freelancing or yeah. you're mm-hmm. at one of these gig gigs. So, yeah, so or like, you're laid off because you work for an airline and now they have zero money it, and zero flights. It's a poor method to put hand put money in the hands of those who most need Moreover, it. those tax cuts go into programs like Social Security and unemployment insurance and, and Medicare. Medicare. So these are things that people use and need and then they're just not being funded mm-hmm. even more now. Like and, they're and, already bankrupt. And this is an example. Well, I All mean, but. yeah, well, yes and no, right? But this is what the Trump administration has been waiting for. They've been waiting for a moment where they can actually go on the offensive against these programs, citing an external threat. Because, I mean, I, I do think that the Trump administration, as full of stupid people as it is, they do recognize that their voting base, uh, a lot of them do depend on Medicare and Social Security. And what they're hoping to do here is by citing something that isn't the usual, you know, spendthrift ways of the Democrats or whatever, they're they're going to finally be able to get at these programs sort of on the tangent. It's the shock doctrine. Yeah. yeah. Effectively. You know, Precisely. You use a crisis to push mm-hmm. through the things you've been planning before a crisis. Yeah. Whether yeah. or not those things will help <laughs> out the crisis or not. Right. right. So Trump threw a hissy fit because he didn't get his payroll tax cut. Um, instead, the House put together a bill to provide sick leave for pe- some people. Not yeah. many. 20%? Like, 20% oh. of the workforce, yeah. I can read from this uh, New York Times editorial, which is uh, not very positive about <laughs> what, what they ended up passing. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on Friday night celebrated the coronavirus legislation that passed early Saturday as providing paid sick leave to American workers affected by the pandemic. She neglected to mention the fine print. In fact, the bill guarantees sick leave only to about 20% of workers. Big employers like McDonald's and Amazon are not required to provide any paid sick leave, while companies with fewer than 50 employees can seek hardship exemptions from the Trump administration. It's not good. No, Um, I can't. Not not to make you more upset, but I do want to take a tangent here because it, it did mention Amazon, which is that did you see Whole Foods CEO uh, saying healthy workers should donate their sick oh, leave yeah. to mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. those workers who need it? Which Whole Foods, of course, is owned by Jeff Bezos, owner of mm-hmm. Amazon, the richest man on the planet. Yeah, 
He could he could donate some things. Mm-hmm. One one of the things that this most lays bare is how much, even though right now you, if you're a billionaire, uh, and I hope you're not listening to us, except for Tom Steyer. Hi, Tom. But <laughs> otherwise, what's he? Okay? If, if, I don't know, but we know he's wearing that tie, uh, <laughs> and he's washed it very religiously. <clears throat> anyway, if you're a billionaire and you're listening to this, you have an opportunity here to garner unprecedented positive press by doing the right thing for your employees. You know, there's actually a possibility here to like, I guess what I'm saying here is obviously on this show, we don't want capitalism to just walk out of this having just reformed itself. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's a thing that somebody like Jeff Bezos could do. They could say, listen, here's a crisis. These are the extraordinary steps that we're going to take under uh, this current problem that we have. Mm -hmm. And, you would actually, in, in the world that we have where we expect so little, that might actually be good public relations. But they're not even doing that because they realize that once you give people something like that they might realize, as we're realizing with AT&T getting rid of its data caps or cities shutting down evictions and utility shutoffs, that those things – The big innovators are not innovating their way out of this uh, yeah. crisis. They are not you know, doing the things that we're told they are there to do, which is to solve society's problems through the sheer force of their wealth. And, and it's shocking just how many of these uh, rich people are not going for the easy PR. Like in the NBA and NHL, you've seen stories about players themselves mm-hmm. paying the mm-hmm. salaries of arena workers who are employed by people much richer than the yeah. players. And we should and we should note at this point credit where to give the devil their due. Mm-hmm. I think the owners of the Bulls and the Blackhawks are actually covering salaries for those right. employees. There are so there's at least a few sports owners, but like uh, the big example was uh, Zion Williamson mm-hmm. paying. He's a rookie star for the New Orleans Pelicans, whereas the owners of the Pelicans, the Bennett family, which is very wealthy, they also own the New Orleans Saints, mm. not doing much for those employees. Yeah. Well, as we know now, they're all on islands. They've taken their private jets to islands Anyone, in the Caribbean. Yeah, right. Back to uh, Congress. <laughs> um, Unfortunately. Right. Uh, Sick workers should stay home, but there is no guarantee in the emergency legislation that most of them will get paid. The bill does require some employers to provide full-time workers with up to 10 days of paid leave, but the requirement does not apply to the nation's largest employers, companies with 500 or more workers, who together employ roughly 54% of all workers. So companies like Walmart, McDonald's, uh, Chipotle, friend of the show, uh, <laughs> they famously completely health uh, health conscious firm Chipotle. <laughs> they were already embroiled in a uh, sick leave battle with their workers in oh, New York right. City yeah. before. Mm-hmm. And know, I think the worst of these effects as well. Uh, they had child labor, child labor that yes. violations in Massachusetts. So you know they're great. They're Just good. amazing, real, real genius award contenders. <laughs> Two years in a row. Wow. Yeah. Uh, y- yeah. So. All the people that, again, that we rely on. So your, your, you know, shelf stalker at your grocery store, they're not getting sick leave. If they don't go to work, they are not getting paid. There, okay. There's no protections for the people we most rely on as far as mm-hmm. getting things the, that we need. The people whose jobs are actually necessary in a yeah. crisis yep. like this. This is something you said before, Ryan, that uh, I think it was David Graeber who said this, yes. that the yes. – the, we inversely correlate the meaningfulness of a job to how well we remunerate it. And right now, part of mm-hmm. remuneration is literally just keeping you healthy and allowing you to, you know, maybe not contract uh, coronavirus or, or not or suffer if you not do. Not spread it. Yeah. yeah. Even more. And we're, and we're not willing to even <laughs> do that because we live in a terrible country that makes no sense. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> I've said – before, this is one of my refrains as a teacher, half the problem that you have in this country is that no American wants to be told what to do. This includes which things that would, yeah, which this includes That's things that would Rob- allow them Robin to Brady. just remain alive mm-hmm. and healthy, right? And what we're seeing very clearly with this pandemic, whether you're, you know, going to a crowded Red Robin <laughs> uh, and, and you're a possible carrier or, you know, out celebrating uh, St. Pat- Patrick's Day. Yep. Yeah. Except for years, it should be banned, whatever. Uh, I can say that I'm Puerto Rican. But 
whether you're doing that kind of thing, you're seeing people just being reckless about this. And what we now know from Italy, from South Korea, from other countries, uh, is that that is precisely what's enabling it to spread, no matter what doctors do, no matter what hospitals do, no matter what epidemic staff are trying to do. There comes a point where if you don't make something mandatory, people are still going to go out and try to do their normal Mm -hmm. thing. It's uh, why so many sports leagues waited until really they were forced to close by Mm -hmm. either – you know, their own players getting sick or by cities, like, shutting off these large events. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So for if you are fortunate enough to work for a company that already provides sick leave, a lot of them have started policies where you will only get to use that sick leave if you test positive. But there are no tests available. <laughs> There's a very limited number. Mm. And they keep saying that if you want to limit the spread, if you are even the slightest bit symptomatic, you should not be anywhere mm-hmm. and you should be getting tested. Or, or if but you, you come into tested. contact, you, yeah. you might end up in quarantine, not test positive, right. but also not be able to work. Right. But right. unless you get tested or and that test comes back positive, mm-hmm. you're not doing this. So, so what is the point of that policy? Just, it, like the ultimately, the only point I can think of is to punish people. There it is. I mean, you just nailed it. Every it, we keep coming back to this every week, but it's just true, and this makes it more obvious than ever. The whole point of the way we construe work in American society is as punishment for people who aren't rich enough to avoid it. That's all it is. It, it's working for the profit of other people who are lazy bastards that aren't doing any work of their own. They're just sitting on their private island with their private jet and their, you know, private caterers and whatever the hell. And they will try to outlast the rest of us because they feel secure in knowing that we can't do anything to them. And I mean, so far they've been right. We've, we've given them every reason to think that because we've taken everything that they've shoveled our way. We're going to end this segment on that note, but come back after this break to talk about what a healthy society might do in response to a crisis like this. You're listening to Punching Out on Wayo 104.3. You can subscribe to the show or listen to past episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and other podcast apps. We are also on Facebook and Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hi, (laughs) y'all. I don't know what they're doing. We've been talking about uh, coronavirus and both the impacts it's having on workers who are always the hardest hit by these sorts of things and the ways our beloved leaders are responding to the problem, which is poorly. 72-point air quotes aren't responding, please. And beloved. (sighs) Well. So we wanted to use this final segment as we often do to try and put a positive light on things, try and at least look towards a better future if we can't fix the present, which who could say? (laughs) So the question I raised at the end of last segment was how would a healthy society respond to something like this? What would it do that we are not doing? And I I think we have some sort of examples like in South Korea where tests have been free and very easy to get, which have helped to manage this crisis in a way that has not been the case in here or in Italy or the UK even where their strategy seems to be to build herd immunity. Mm-hmm. You can't build herd immunity if there's no immunity. That's just – no, no, no. Building herd immunity is just the ultimate expression of the stiff upper lip that the <laughs> British are famous for. That's what that is. We, we talked in the last segment about how like Americans are not listening to things that are mandatory. They're still going out to bars. They're still you know gathering in public when – you know, everything says that that's a big risk and likely to spread this disease. So – At some level, it comes down to societal attitudes, just like Americans have been taught that, you know, we can't let the virus show we're afraid Mm -hmm. because that's how we respond to every problem. But, you know, there are policies that we could put in place that would help to make future problems less so. Number one, and most importantly, actual paid sick leave and not administered by the employer ultimately (laughs) – 
taxed out of the employer and paid for by the government right. is what you ultimately need. One thing I didn't mention about that uh, democratic plan, which you know, in its ultimate version was very specifically just about coronavirus. It doesn't even provide this same level of sick yeah. leave to future pandemics, which we're going to have future pandemics. We're yeah. going to have future sickness. Like any sickness, you know, deserves a robust sick leave policy. Right. But especially. But this is, protests. this is Democrats. I mean, this is what they've been doing all of 2020. They're, they're putting a patch on the problem. They're putting a, a very thin, spindly band-aid on it and expecting people to be okay with that. Uh, you need paid sick leave. You need some kind of, uh, be it through making every job full time, be it through a guarantee, uh, basic income. You need some kind of guaranteed income so that somebody who, can't draw a paycheck, I, we'll be fine. I do want to read this uh, Nancy Pelosi tweet justifying the oh, compromises no. made in no. this uh, poor sick leave Who bill. Who gave her Twitter? <laughs> uh, quote, I don't support U.S. taxpayer money subsidizing corporations to provide benefits to workers that they should already be provided. Then no. make them do it! <laughs> oh, my God. That's not that hard. Uh, like, I realize uh, half of your caucus is a bunch of backstabbing <laughs> cannot say that on. sorry backstabbing <clears throat> jerks sure all right so but like all right we need to furthermore in order to improve future situations we need to understand that corporations cannot replace government actions mm -hmm. the whole point of capitalism i've been told is that it's efficient efficient means that people are going to get left behind they're going to fall through the cracks and that's supposed to be if if you want still to have capitalism and not have it erased which would be great not gonna lie but if you still want to do that, you need to understand that government has to exist to in order to protect people who are not winning under capitalism. The corporations are not going to do that. That is exactly the opposite of their All intent. Their yeah, yeah. There's no incentive for them to do that. They don't care. They are not human. They don't care about you. And now that they've captured the state, they've made sure that the state enables and in fact encourages that behavior. Let's keep going back to this. The only legal responsibility, the only legal obligation any of these firms has is to increase shareholder value. And because shareholders in their meetings and whatnot are going to tend towards the worst and loudest people on the planet, which are typically the same, you're going to end up with a corporation that can't take, even if it wanted to, even if it wanted to, which none of them do, but even if it wanted to, can't take its social responsibility seriously. So they cannot act as shadow governments. They cannot act as puppet governments. And the job of somebody like Nancy Pelosi, because God knows friend of the show Mitch McConnell is too busy attending, you know, his favorite Supreme Court justices events to do anything. And thank God for that, because whatever he did would be worse. The job of somebody like Nancy Pelosi, the job of somebody like, I don't know, a Joe Biden or somebody like that is to is to articulate a vision where you say, OK, then the government is actually going to step in and make you do it, because as we have seen. Americans consider mandatory stuff to be fascism, basically, for some reason. But unfortunately, there are crises where response like that is necessary. Yeah. Because the alternative is people die. Yeah. And I, we're fine. Sorry. No, I, I remember when this outbreak first started getting big. And in Wuhan province, it, the government there was talking about shutting everything down and like limiting travel and saying, you can't leave. This is how it's going to go. And every single person in the Western media was like, oh, look at that. Look how uh, uh, totalitarian they are and authoritarian. And, and that, you know, why are you limiting people's freedoms? It, it's so bananas. Like we have to understand that government exists for a reason. Like, I'm not saying all government is good because clearly our government only cares about the people in power. But for the love of God, like, we've got to have something. Hey, Lou. Hey. When did it hit you that Ryan just outplayed us by doing the positive segment and then making us both mad? <laughs> <laughs> all because of Nancy Pelosi's but stupid in, Twitter. But in seriousness, though, it, it tells you how completely useless both of the major parties are here. When you look at what other countries have been doing, not just South Korea, but you've got in Vietnam, you've got free meals for people who are quarantined that are just being given to them. In Cuba, a medical industry that we're told is, you know, just not good enough, have, might have actually developed a successful antiviral. 
there are countries that are actually managing this by simply deciding that it's a public good to have a healthy populace. Precisely. And you need to take measures to ensure that. And we're not going to do it here. And the reason we're not going to do it here is ultimately because from the top down, you've got too many people who are too safe and too unwilling to take this seriously. There's a something in that Nancy Pelosi tweet that's reminiscent of the uh, line from the debates four years ago, which is that, you know, we don't want to pay for Donald Trump's kids to go to college. Yeah. You know, it's using mm-hmm. this idea of, oh, we don't want to subsidize the rich in order to to argue against universal programs. Which is false because, yes, you do if you're Nancy Pelosi. Yes, you do if you're Hillary Clinton. Yes, you do if you're Joe Biden because you're going to give them tax breaks that are just Mm -hmm. subsidies. And the rich love being subsidized. It's all they Mm -hmm. do. The federal government is a giant piggy bank for the rich right now. Yeah. And the only reason that we don't have some massive piece of legislation that just hands the Department of Health over to Gilead Sciences or whoever is because they haven't yet figured out the way to write it so that it's legal. Yeah. My biggest concern coming out of the end of all of this is that companies and corporations that Nancy thinks are all our friends and will be doing picking up the the job of providing us health care and, and income and stuff like that is that they're going to use this as an opportunity to – replace standard work entirely with gig work and entirely through contract things. And they're going to use things like this shock doctrine, Ryan, that you mentioned to, to really, really break us. Now to uh, think about the uh, democratic debates of this presidential cycle at virtually every one of these debates, there has been an extended argument about healthcare and whether the Medicare for all plan of Bernie Sanders is a good idea. You know, many of his opponents have said it will never happen. They couldn't pass, but have nevertheless sought to argue against it on the merits, not just on whether it could Mm -hmm. pass. And this line that has been repeated over and over is that 150 million people have private insurance. And often it has been suggested that they like their private insurance, which is not true. You know, I don't think there's Anybody Not out there a who's, single person. you know, particularly fond of Blue Cross, Blue Shield, or nope. Aetna, or what have you. Um, but what we're seeing in this outbreak is that, you know, if you get laid off, there goes your private insurance. If mm-hmm. your employer, you know, like, just can't afford to keep you on anymore because nobody's visiting their business, there goes your private insurance. Yep. You know, the choice that has been touted by Pete Buttigieg becomes something that's imposed upon you. Yeah. We made a huge mistake in this society when we decided to tie everything to the idea of having a job that provides it. The moment your employer became your parent, your caretaker, your teacher, your doctor, whatever, the moment they became the sole provider for everything that you need to live a life, we messed up. And we have a chance to correct that mistake now. But you can't, we can't let up. Because the thing is, the Jeff Bezos of the world and the, the, the Walton families of the world and all of these people, they're counting that once, if and when this outbreak is over, that we'll forget which ones of the, which businesses did what and which policies didn't get passed. And they'll all go, well, you know, the, the, the people who died, they were sick anyway and they were old and whatever and, and so on and so on. And there won't be any room to point out that actually the, biggest problem that we had in managing something like COVID was poverty, was class, was the availability of work. These are people who have gutted the American labor landscape and they're about to, as Lou was saying, finish that job uh, in the middle of this crisis. It, our, our country, if, 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 if these people succeed, is going to look a lot more like all the countries that, you know, the Chicago boys or Jeffrey Sachs or whoever the hell it was in Russia, uh, just they hollowed them out completely. And we can stop that happening, but it's going to take some work. What this pandemic has exposed beyond all of the failings of our current system is that like everybody's in this together. Uh, the, the line has been that you're only as healthy as the least insured person because that person, you know, might work at the restaurant you go to it. They might work at the grocery store you shop at. And if they can transmit the virus to you, then, you know, your health is dependent on their ability to not work while sick. Mm-hmm. It's all, we're all dependent on each other. And 
if we choose not to acknowledge that fact, we'll continue to get a fractured society that cannot solve any problems on this scale. And, you know, God knows that we have, we are going to face more problems on this scale in the years to come. So in three words, our choices are socialism or barbarism. You could say that, yeah. Well, yeah. I know which one I'm choosing. Not to put too fine a point on it, but like something like a universal healthcare system would make crises like this much more manageable. Yeah. If you didn't have these 50 patchworks of, you know, each state system or, mm -hmm. I mean, just looking ahead at like the election, which is going to be managed by 50 different states in 50 different ways. It's And we all know how we feel about our electoral process. Mm -hmm. We love it. You know, how is that going to handle an outbreak on this scale? It, there are so many breaking points in our society and we're increasingly lucky if a problem doesn't press on more than one of them. Yeah. This one's pressing on basically all of them at the same time. And and it's proving that we've refused to build a society that can manage it because we're too busy, uh, you know. We've aggressively chosen not to build a society. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, public health and public goods are something that need to be structured to prevent selfish behaviors. Mm -hmm. And that's not what we have because we have decided – Philosophically, that selfishism, selfishism, selfish, being sure. selfish, selfishism. whatever, selfishism, <laughs> egocentrism, egoism, you whatever go. you want, is is good. Um, so Ayn Rand, love you, Gordon Gecko. Yeah, it, it's this whole idea that I don't want to impede the progress and success of these billionaires because one day I want to count myself among them. It's it's a temporarily embarrassed millionaire thing again. Except that it should be more obvious than ever that they're making that club extremely exclusive and they're convincing you that the reason is because government won't let you join them, where the real reason is they've constructed the government so that you can't join them. Uh, there was some, a story from Italy which I, I think you know offers one possible alternative where – you know, where workers have some say over how these things are handled. Seems fake. Mm. <laughs> uh, I'm quoting from Jacobin, an article by David Broder. Italy is the European country worst affected by coronavirus, closing in on a thousand deaths at the time of writing. Yet even as it began implementing further travel restrictions over the weekend, the government allowed exemptions for, quote, work reasons without making it clear what counted. Giuseppe Conte's government has closed many businesses. On Wednesday night, all non-essential retailers, leaving only supermarkets and drugstores, were told to shut down, as were public venues like bars, restaurants, and hairdressers. Yet this policy has been applied to workplaces in general, no matter the size. Some workers have refused to put themselves at risk. On Tuesday, workers at the Fiat Auto Plant in Pamigliano near Naples were first to hit the headlines by taking strike action. The following day, the FCA group, the result of Fiat's merger with Chrysler, announced that it was temporarily shutting the site down along with three other southern plants. At another FCA plant in Termoli, Molise, the workers are on strike until March 14th. Their union declared, quote, the big factories are places that bring people together from the buses to the assembly lines to the canteen. It defies logic. The state closes everything, starting with the schools, and bans moving around, even issuing criminal sanctions for those who ignore the decrees. But unlike China, the Italian government has not closed the factories. It keeps saying, stay at home, even as the assembly lines continue producing and putting staff and all their families at risk. Yeah. Um, not much more to add. That's, that's what we need here. Basically. So on that little note of hope, you know, maybe <laughs> that one day we might have a society that mirrors that sort of society. One day we might live in a society at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's important to remember, like, this this pandemic will pass. It's yeah. not going to pass without big pain. problems and pain um, and, and a lot of people getting very, very hurt. But it will pass, and we need to be mindful about what our future after this will look like. Yeah. I think anybody who wasn't already convinced of the problems in society, I truly hope that their eyes have been opened to this and that they'll learn that we need to fight for public goods and public mm. health. Ultimately, all we have is each other. That's always been true, but now it's more obvious than it's ever been. 
For this week, I'm Ryan. I'm Noah. And I'm Lou. This is Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. <laughs>